Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version, a podcast in which I get to interview inspiring women whose paths have crossed mine and bring them to you so you too can be inspired. I am host Maria Leonard Olson. I'm a civil litigation attorney in the Washington, D.C. area, a radio show host, podcaster, mentor to women who have survived trauma and addiction and alcoholism. I do writing workshops, empowerment workshops, and my passion is helping women. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be helped in some way. If you are willing, please look at my TEDx talk called Using Life's Challenges as a Force for Good. And look at this extraordinary woman's TED talk at TEDx Duke. The link is in my show notes. This is an amazing young woman who I met years ago when she was starting her book journey. Carolina Peterson is the author of The Effortless Perfection Myth, which is going to press this month. Uh, it is about gender issues today's women run into in college. She graduated from Duke University in 2015 with majors in women's studies and public policy. She has published articles with Insider, Inside Higher Ed, The Week, She Knows Media, Ms. Magazine, Rewire News, Bustle, Garnet News, Women's E-News, and Elite Daily. She is also a mixed medium artist whose work has appeared in the New York Times and Washington Life Magazine. We must show enough of our own vulnerabilities that others don't feel the need to hide their own, says Carolina. You can check out her past work and sign up for her newsletter at carolinapeterson.com or follow her on Instagram at Effortless Perfection Myth. All of this is in the show notes. So don't feel like you have to write this down right now. And I will mention it again at the end of the podcast. Welcome, Carolina. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, you are an amazing person. I wish that I had read your book when I was entering college because I definitely suffered from perfectionism and it hurt me in multiple ways. Can you tell us how this extraordinary book came to be? What set you on this path? Absolutely. Um, so I actually started writing my book when I was still in college, um, my super senior year. And essentially, I wanted to address uh, this issue that I myself had struggled with, and I'd seen a lot of the other women in my life struggle with. So effortless perfection is a term that was coined at my alma mater, Duke University, in 2003. Um, it's since been used to describe the cultural climate on campuses all across the U.S., especially by women. Um, but essentially, it is this uh, feeling like you are expected to come across as, you know, having the perfect body, perfect social life, perfect future plans, perfect everything. But all of that is supposed to not seem like it takes any effort. It's all, you know, naturally an expression of, you know, your inner self. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. what I 
found is it tends to create these environments where people are so set on making it seem like they have everything put together at all points in time that when we do inevitably run into struggle, which, you know, we're going to do because <laughs> it's yeah. life, mm-hmm. um, we look around at our seemingly flawless peers and we assume, you know, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm the only one struggling. And so it tends to make the things we're struggling with just that much worse because we sort of think to ourselves like, oh, I, like I'm the broken one or I'm, I must be crazy. Everyone else seems, you know, fine with all of this. Um, and at the heart of my book is, um, you know, I was a woman studies major uh, and I, you know, declared that major because I wanted to sort of understand like, what's going on here? Like, what are the structural issues that are making it so that, you know, women experience depression at twice the rate of our male peers that, you know, so many of us are developing eating disorders um, in college, like 10 to 20% of us, um, that women are leaving college with less self-esteem than they came in with while men are leaving with more. Like, what is that? And, um, you know, I think that it's that the, the effortless perfection myth really keeps us in, in isolation from each other. We're embarrassed to sort of say, I'm struggling. And I think the way that this, you know, really links with, you know, the way that the, the feminist struggle has worked is that, you know, feminism really started because there were women who were like, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z thing. And they spoke to somebody else about it. And then the other woman said back, oh my gosh, me too. And sort of that, you know, empowering force of I am not alone. And this personal thing is a political thing has sort of been, you know, behind the wave of, you know, the various waves of the feminist movement throughout history. So, um, you know, I, I view effortless perfection as a mental health issue. I view it as, you know, a gender issue. Um, and, I, I have been writing about it and speaking about it and all of that just because it, you know, brought me to a, a, a dark place and I've, I've seen it impact a lot of women and I, I, I don't want that to be that way anymore. Well, I congratulate you and applaud you for doing this very important work. It definitely contributed to my alcoholism, the effortless perfection myth. And I did look around and think, wow, everyone else has it so easy. And this this myth has been magnified due to our social media obsessed society. So what do you what do you tell young women about how social media is simply the highlight reel of someone's life. It's not reality. How do you help women accept the truth that no one has it easy? How do you do it? Um, I would say at the crux of it, I like to talk about sort of the difference between um, pursuing an image and developing an identity. I like that. So I feel like social media is very much about like the image. Um, and when you're, you know, chasing after an image, it is, you're falling into this pattern of like, oh, I'm going to be happy when I have achieved X, Y, and Z thing that, pr- you know, creates proof that I'm winning whatever it is I'm supposed to be winning. Yeah. 
Um, whereas an identity is something that you get to take on when you recognize that like you are enough as you are now. And like, you've already made it to the point where you get to be yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't need like that proof or that validation from some external source, um, to, you know, feel, feel valid. Um, so I guess the, the biggest difference is that, you know, an identity is permanent, um, whereas an image is only really something you uh, achieve in like these brief moments, you know, you reach it and you might embody it when you win that award or you catch so-and-so's attention, or you have that really great post on Instagram or whatever, but the moment shifts and you like fall back into hot pursuit and, um, it's exhausting and, you know, it's, when you learn, like I'm running on this treadmill, um, to reach this image, but I'm not actually making any ground. You sort of think to yourself, like, how do I get off of this treadmill? And it's, it's about, you know, letting yourself again, have this identity instead of pursuing this image. That is so true. You are such a wise woman at such an early age. I am in <laughs> awe of you. And my son is a social media influencer. And I know that he gets down sometimes when the haters heat up. And someone I heard speak recently said, having haters is a sign that you have something other people want. Is that something that rings hollow to the women that you help? Or how do you help women who experience the haters and the trolls online? Well, um, (laughs) there's always gonna be haters, yes. I would say um, it's really about deciding where your sense of self and your sense of validation gets to come from. Mm -hmm. Does it come from outside approval or does it come from, you know, internal um, approval and, and love and permission to, you know, be who you are? I think the effortless perfection has two sort of key concepts that we need to keep in mind in terms of like where it gets its power from. Mm -hmm. One of them is, you know, that perfectionism is all about sort of this addiction to reassurance. Mm. You know, I'm constantly looking for validation from some outside source that I'm on the right track. And so you are so much more vulnerable and open to those haters because that's your lifeblood is like whatever everybody else is saying. Um, And I think the second thing that feeds into that is this feeling that you need to be easy enough to love. Um, And I'll explain what I mean by that. I think it particularly impacts women because, you know, we're trained to be people pleasers and, you know, uh, good girls and keep everyone at ease. But the effortless perfection myth, it really creates this sense that love is something you have to earn from others by being smart enough, pretty enough, uh, you know, kind enough, uh, not bossy, not opinionated, not loud, not messy, not feeling too many emotions. And I think that um, we need to, again, question where is this sense of validation coming from? Um, Because love and affection, they can't be felt by the receiver when the receiver believes that those things only come as the result of measuring up to an ideal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when the receiver believes that every bit of love that they receive must be earned through some, you know, vigilant micromanagement of our own nature. And I think that that's the part that's the most freeing to me. You know, I am, uh, I got ADHD. I mm-hmm. have lots of opinions. I talk louder than I think and maybe necessarily want. And, um, you know, I, I still feel self-conscious about that, you know, in X, Y, and Z way, but I also, you know, have been able to learn and remind myself, like, I don't want to feel like love is something I'm supposed to earn by cutting myself off from some of the most natural parts of who I am. Um, so that's what I would say about the haters (laughs) oh well you have so much wisdom my friend i i also would like to ask you as so many people are sending their babies who are now adults at least in society's eyes off to college what sort of advice do you have for parents it's a scary time i remember dropping my firstborn off at college and weeping, thinking she's not ready for this because I wasn't ready when I was 18. So do you have any advice for parents of how they can support their children without micromanaging when their children are probably not living under their roofs? Yeah, I I get this question so much because, you know, parents, uh, you know, kids like to think, oh, my my parents don't understand or this or that, but they're usually a a lot more dialed in than than I think we (laughs) were. Um, You know, what I particularly focus on, and I have a talk on this and, you know, with some articles coming out and whatnot, I think that a lot of... um, a lot of kids who sort of appear to be effortlessly perfect are the ones who um, aren't the squeaky wheel, who have always been the kid who, you know, doesn't need help or attention, who's able to sort of like make things work on their own. Um, and so I think, you know, there are a lot of parents who are like, okay, they seem great. They're, they've got it, um, or at least they have in college, but I've noticed that, you know, they have anxiety or they struggle with perfectionism or they can't accept, um, you know, anything less than the best. And it drives them to this, you know, place. So, you know, I think um, there's a couple of different things you can do, but I think it's important to explain to your kids that um, we're, we're going off to college thinking that if we can make our lives look perfect, then they'll start to feel perfect too. Mm -hmm. and um you know I myself definitely fell into this trap as someone who was you know identified as a sort of golden girl in high school via like various awards and expectations I went off to college fully believing I was on you know the ultimate path to success um and then by my sophomore year I had an eating disorder my junior year I was having anxiety attacks senior year I had a major depressive episode And it was sort of like, okay, if I'm supposed to be the face of this person who has it all, you know, this girl who like made it, then something is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Because like, it wasn't just me. It was, you know, I was at Duke. I was like, there were a million and one of me who were these girls who are supposed to be the it girls who were really having a hard time. And um, I think what really helped in terms of things that my parents did 
was a sort of like reestablish like you don't have to protect me from what you're going through like I'm the parent this is my job Mm. um b I think it was about like I remember you know my dad shared some of his own personal experiences with like mental health stuff and it felt less like oh this is an issue that you struggle with that we need to fix and it felt and like you know more of like an intervention and it felt more like this is something that people struggle with, including me and including you. And let's talk about it. Um, so, you know, I think that vulnerabilities are scary and the effortless perfection myth is all about pretending that they don't exist. But I also think that like our vulnerabilities are these very special jewels or whatever you want to call them, precious stones that we can use to, to connect to, you know, sort of say, you know, that part of you that you're kind of scared of and freaks you out. Like I have that too. And you can be that in front of me. And like, I'm going to be that in front of you. I think as a parent, you need to have some, you know, some boundaries, you know, establish those. But I think, you know, sort of saying like, this isn't just a you thing. Like I've been there too. Let's talk about it is extremely helpful. That's great advice. Great advice, Carolina. Thank you for that. Another of the many things that I appreciate about you is uh, while the listeners can't see, you are a beautiful white woman, yet you study and write about and did a TEDx talk with women of color, people of different sexualities and socioeconomic backgrounds to give a more well-rounded view of the things you're passionate about. How did that become important to you? Because you do come from a privileged background in many ways. So what influenced you to include people of color, people of different gender identities and uh, sexualities in your work? Ah, oh my gosh, where do I start? Um, <laughs> I, I think as a person who, you know, if you were to look at various identity markers, the only one that I have that, you know, truly disadvantages me, you know, is, is gender. And I sometimes find myself sort of thinking like, this is something that impacts me so deeply. Like, why don't all of the men in my life get it? Mm. You know? And um, I think that it, it's hard to empathize with those who, you know, whose experiences are different from your own because you don't necessarily understand, you don't necessarily get it. So much of it is like invisible. Like that's what it means to be privileged is you don't have to know about the hardships that others are going through, they're kind of invisible to you. Mm-hmm. And I think being in college and the people I became friends with and um, people I surrounded myself with, I just sort of realized like it is our responsibility to become more ethical uh, than the society we grew up in. And if I, as a woman, want to expect that other people are going, you know, that men are going to engage with my issues and understand and empathize with my issues, then I, as a woman, um, you know, I need to 
understand where people of color are coming from, where, you know, LGBTQ individuals are coming from. And, you know, you can't like feminism that doesn't address all of those issues is not feminism. It is, it is, you know, uh, women who are like, well, every, you know, white women who are like, all oh, this works for me, except for this one thing. And everyone needs to fix this one thing, but like everything else is cool. And that's still white supremacy. That's still classism. That's still homophobia. And, um, you know, I think that we need to use issues we struggle with, mental health, gender issues, whatever it is. And instead of having those things close us off and make us feel hardened to the world, we need to use them to help us feel softer towards other people whose struggles might be different, but who, you know, also need love and support and all of that. You know, I've been a teacher for the past five years. My favorite students, the ones who seem to be the most grounded and empathetic and understanding, they're always the gay students, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> like you know, uh, they just seem to understand in a different way. And I think that part of it is because you want to look at a community that has had to fight to feel seen and understood and like who they are is okay. You know, if I, as like a, a, a white upper-class girl have already felt such a hard time being able to just be who I am, yeah. then, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, you, you, I just, I think that there are so many other communities that have so much more that they have to push back against to feel like their fullest selves. And how can you not honor that? How can you not see that and want to celebrate it? And, and how do you, you know, you have to write about that. You have to include it. That's what third wave feminism is all about is intersectionality. And if it doesn't include that stuff. You know, it's, it's BS. Wow. You are extraordinary, Carolina. Wow. That is so true. Everything that you said. And as the parent of a gay son, a son who is gay, uh, I am so proud that one of his platforms on his social media is normalizing mental health um, therapy. And that makes me so proud that he is helping other young people see the value in seeking help and not suffering alone. And you are helping people do that as well. Thank you. <laughs> well, I do know that you are in contact with lots of young people, both as a teacher and in your speaking engagements. I wonder if you've ever been stumped by a young person's question, because I have, so <laughs> if you have, what is a question that really took you off guard that you have since thought about and uh, can share about, if, you, if anything comes to mind? Ooh, a question that took me off guard. Um, so I teach, yeah, I've taught English and um, I also um, am, started the, the Gay Straight Alliance at the, the school that I'm at. Um, nice. and, worked with the diversity club and all that. And so I've sort of become like the teacher that students who have questions about, you know, I'm like the, you know, again, like this white blonde, you know, whatever, <laughs> but I, like, all right, we have questions. 
which um, also goes to show, you know, how important it is to have diversity in schools. And um, that's, you know, a, a place that all schools should be focusing on is, is making sure they have that diversity in their staff. But um, I have a lot of students who will come to me to ask questions. I think that like Gen Z is very curious to understand like what is a microaggression and like why do people feel X, Y, and Z way? And, you know, I've done a lot of reading so that A, I understand those issues and try not to perpetuate them, yeah. but B, so that I can, you know, make sure I address those in my curriculum and this and that and whatever. Um, but, you know, I think <laughs> it's, it's hard sometimes when, you know, I, I don't, I don't always have the answers because there's not always, you know, a correct answer. Um, so I'd, I'd say that, you know, I think, I think Gen Zers are very curious about identity issues. And I think that, you know, as a teacher, as an adult, there's always more reading that you, you can do to sort of explain and understand, but also, you know, there's certain experiences I can't speak for. So I can, I can try my best, but um, that's where I've gotten a little stumped, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, one thing, another thing I admire about you is how you educate yourself. If you don't know anything about something, I know that about you. You do your best to find out about it. And that is a beautiful thing that I wish more people would do. <laughs> well, I think it's critically important as an educator, you know, you're such an authority figure in these students' lives and they look up to you and you, again, you have to be really careful that you're not accidentally perpetuating, you know, various systems of oppression and whatnot. Um, I think that teachers need to do a better, a much better job, particularly at private schools where, you know, they can be very white, they can be very, um, you know, all of these things. Um, to sort of understand how do I not again perpetuate those those power yeah. power dynamics. Yeah, is your school at which you teach pretty diverse? Um, so I'm taking the year off this year um, because I wanted to focus entirely on you know book speaking, yeah. um, all of that. Um, I would say some grades are more diverse than others, and our teaching staff is definitely not nearly diverse enough. Mm. Uh, you know, we're in the South, we're in New Orleans, um, where, you know, you just look at the public school system and the separation of like, uh, you know, it seems like all of the private schools are white students and all the public schools are, are you know, students of color. And if we have a lot, we still have a lot as a city to address for sure. Mm -hmm. That's, that's true of many American cities. And thank you for doing your part to help educate people, dispel fear about otherness and help our young people navigate this fraught terrain. I really, really appreciate your work. Thank you. So the one question I ask of all the women on the podcast is, what do you do, Carolina, to become your best version? So to become my best version, I, um, I think it goes back to, again, thinking about like where my sources of validation come from and who I'm giving the power to determine how I feel about myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in terms of the things I feel strongly about or the pieces of me that, you know, determine who I am, 
um, I have a couple of, of goalposts that I fall back on. I, so I like to remind myself, you know, how you see yourself and your decisions impacts how others ultimately see you and your decisions. So if you're presenting, you know, your version, your vision for your book, or, you know, the reason that you don't drink or the reason that you, um, you know, choose to express yourself in the way you do in terms of your gender identity, if you present that in a way that has a question mark at the end, people notice and it like opens up this space to challenge it. But if you sort of present it and say, you know, this is this is who I am and you know whatnot, um, that impacts how other people see it. I also think you can't allow the pe- the pieces at the heart of your identity um, and the thoughts and beliefs that like are most valuable to you to be invalidated by the opinions of other people who have like never taken the time to actually consider those same things in the same way. Um, And again, I think like the more you love your own decisions, the less you need other people to love them. So, you know, start, stop looking outside of yourself for validation. You can have your confidence in the people whose opinions you trust. And if they say to you, Hey, I think you're going off base here, listen, but you do not, you're not required to validate your decisions or your feelings to every single person who asks you about them or every single person you meet. Um, so that's how I try to become my best version of myself. I try less to be that good girl, that effortlessly perfect girl who's trying to earn love from others constantly and needs all of that. And I, I trust myself more and I trust those closest to me that, you know, they have it right in terms of, of who I am and, and who I'm trying to become. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful words and sentiments that can elevate all of our lives. I need that reminder every day. I fall back into the trap. Progress, not perfection, but I will continue. And I encourage all of you to go to Carolina Peterson, S-O-N.com and follow her on her social media. Do yourself a favor and listen to her TEDx Duke talk. It is a good one, people. So congratulations on your new book, The Effortless Perfection Myth, and watch watch for this woman. She is doing important world work and changing the world one talk at a or one article, one book at a time. Thank you, Carol. Thank you so much. I'm so happy. I was so happy to be able to talk with you this afternoon. Me too. Thanks. Mm-hmm.